Hey, as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Potomy app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. Morning news on 710 KURV. Top newsmakers. Here's Sergio Sanchez. Our city manager for Brownsville, Helen Damitas, joining us. Let's get a city hall and economic development update. And, of course, the big news is the big rocket in Brownsville. Let's take care of city hall business first, Helen. From your perspective, city manager, review a couple of the big projects you're looking at at city hall right now. I don't know if you all have been at downtown Brownsville, but we really are seeing a renaissance and resurgence of different projects uh, from offices uh, on levy uh, to new restaurants that are going to be opening up um, soon, actually, uh, possibly the beginning of May off of Market Square. Um, So there's there's a lot of um, new businesses that uh, are opening. I also like the fact that many are very authentic. Uh, they're, mar- they're people that um, small mom and pops that have really grown um, and actually cr- opening up a brick and mortar place. So it's very important to see that there's not only investment from other parts of the state of Texas, but to Brownsville, but also local investment where they can see a lot of growth and opportunity. Helen Ramirez, our city manager for Brownsville, catching up to speed with business at City Hall, also looking at some of the economic development possibilities and infrastructure or brick-and-mortar projects, maybe a, a top one or two that has all your attention these days. Right now, the uh, project that has is in construction right now that is very important is our BTX Fiber or Lit Fiber BTX. Uh, we are actually uh, started the first ring of of fiber uh, in and around downtown. There will be six rings, and we are actually already have residents that are interested in signing up. So for us, actually, you know, the fact that they have, uh, we have a, a warehouse, we have the fiber, we have the construction going on is very powerful because I think that's what shows progress, right? We can talk about deals, but when you actually saw, see the construction going on, and the residents, you know, asking and curious and seeing how they can participate in the project or participate in possibly getting connectivity, I think is very powerful. Um, and also, just Avello Airlines, we're getting ready for our first um, flight, which will be May 17th. And um, just that affordable, reliable, convenient, direct flight to, and especially now with you know, the SpaceX uh, launch coming up, direct flights to Burbank, Los Angeles, and and Orlando are very important. Um, And so we're just seeing a lot of investment also at the airport because I don't know if you know, but we have 60 tenants there. And from Fisher Dynamics to SpaceX to other smaller tenants, and I think what we're seeing is 
a real interest in investment in infrastructure, not only from the private sector, but also for the, from the Greater Brownsville Incentives Corporation that is looking at maybe our next spec building, our logistical warehouse building to be built there. By when will that be done? It takes about, uh, it's a $90 million uh, project. We, uh, the city used uh, federal funding, $19.5 million, and then leveraged $70 million in private investment. Uh, the first ring is in construction, but I think it all, it, it'll take about 18 months to all be built out. Now, okay. We're not going to wait till the last ring is built out to provide connectivity. We feel that we're going to be able to provide connectivity prior to that. 10-4. Elon Musk going to launch that thing. We, we hope it's a successful one. Launches it into space. Helen Ramirez, our city manager for the city of Brownsville. I got my colleague Tim Sullivan with me. Go ahead, Tim. Yeah, Miss Ramirez, Tim Sullivan here. So with respect to what could take place this morning, if, if not later today, over at uh, Starbase Boca Chica Beach, you've called this history in the making. Can you talk more about what this means to uh, Brownsville, Cameron County, the Rio Grande Valley? Well, I think it's a great pride. You know, there has always been a question as to if um, Starship was going to be able to receive that license from the FAA. And knowing that they have a five-year license that's been granted is very powerful uh, for our community. Many of the workers, 1,800 workers, 1,900 workers are from Brownsville, Cameron County, I would say at least. Um, 70%. And that's very impactful for our community, understanding that they're, they've built uh, a 98% of Starship um, is very impactful. It is built with our intergenerational workforce, and um, there's a pride there. Um, I also see a lot of investment opportunities, um, not only for I said that our local businesses who have actually I've been driving around town and there's a great buzz. A lot of our local businesses, the restaurants are full, um, our caterers, our vendors, our, our actually our hotels are full, um, and so we are seeing a lot of local and in different sectors, right? Um, positive. Uh, you know, revenue that is coming in as a result of that. So we're very excited that the day is here and um, and we're excited for what's to come. And this is really just the beginning. Yeah, Starbase, the largest employer in Cameron County now, um, it, it's grown tremendously over these these past uh, nine nine years now. What What do you foresee if you can look into your crystal ball? with respect to further growth at Starbase? Well, what I see is further growth, growth not only at Starbase um, in uh, Boca Chica, Cameron County, but also growth in Brownsville. Uh, and they occupy SpaceX about over 100,000 square feet in and around the city in our airport, actually more. And so what I see is that, especially with our BTX fiber, the ability for um, them to grow within our city limits and also at Starbase. Uh, one of the things that the city is doing to gear up for, for growth is we have a mobility plan, which is a transportation plan. You know, how are our large employers, not only SpaceX, but the Port of Brownsville, Keppel Anfields, you know, um, those, those large employers, and then the city of Brownsville, we have 1,200 employees. You know, how do 
how does this all work together to ensure that we have quality of life in our city, um, that we have a, a great trail, park, uh, safe environment where we can, you know, be educated, we can live, we can raise our kids, we, they can no more brain drain. So it's great that we're yeah. going to see a lot of a lot of parents coming back or fathers who have worked in the oil and gas business actually coming back as a result of these types of jobs. Coming back to a whole brand new industry, aeronautics. Not only that, yes, sir, absolutely. It's exciting. Helen Domitis, our city manager for Brownsville. And yes, um, a very important day and week. We'll see Elon Musk. If he's as successful in launching his big rocket, maybe sending it up to space, which is one of many tests in the near future that will be hopefully conducted at Brownsville. And every time that rocket goes up, puts Brownsville specifically, Boca Chica, and the Rio Grande Valley, just shines a, a very positive limelight. And a very big thank you to our city manager in Brownsville, Helen Ramirez. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids are running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. Download the free app for 710KURV and all our sister stations at Radio United. Crisp, clear audio and access to previous programs from 710KURV only at Radio Parami. Download it, it's free. Property owners across Hidalgo County, Cameron County as well, but we'll focus on Hidalgo County right now. Property owners, you've seen it in the mail. You get the new appraisal from County Jorge Gonzalez, Hidalgo County assistant appraiser, joining us. Does everyone get a letter this go around, or, or are we back to a tiered system where a portion of the population is getting letters, George? Well, uh, I was looking at our reports for the last couple of years, I feel. And, and we're getting to a point where we're having, I think I mentioned this last year, we're having to basically reappraise the whole county. Uh, this year we're sending out uh, about 290,000 uh, appraisal notices. And last year, I think it was like 270,000 uh, appraisal notices. So uh, the answer to that question is no. Okay. So is that how many properties we have then? About just shy of 300,000 properties property owners no 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 we we have about 350,000 parcels uh, you gotta remember we also appraise business personal properties minerals utilities uh all sorts of properties but we have about 350,000 parcels do you have more staff that is able to conduct all these additional appraisals no we pretty much have had about 95 employees for the last 20 years for folks that are looking at their letters and saying well, well I'd like to get a second opinion on this. How does that process work? Um, obviously, we have uh, the appraisal notice that we're, we're referring to. 
read the instructions. Uh, they're very uh, detail-oriented. They want to have a second opinion. If they question the value, whether it's too, whether it's obviously too high, you're not going to worry about it. If it's too low, then you can go ahead and follow the protest, follow the instructions. There's a manual form in there. However, we highly encourage uh, uh, being done via our online portal. There's an insert in there that gives you the, de the detailed information on how to fill it out. That is something that has grown over the last two or three years, Sergio. We've received a lot of positive, positive feedback from utilizing the online portal. The protest gets open as soon as you file it, whereas if you file a manual form, by the time we get it and we add it to the stack and we have to manually input it into the system, it takes uh, a bit longer for us to be able to do uh, open it up. It's appraisal time. Hidalgo County Assistant Appraiser Jorge Gonzalez, our guest right now. Folks have till when to ask for an, an appeal yes. or ask for a hearing on this? Yes, uh, that is correct. Uh, that would be May the 15th. Monday, May the 15th is the deadline to file your appeal if you wish to file an appeal. I was speaking with the our Edinburgh mayor the other day, and it just impressive. 60, 70 different subdivisions that we're working on, just hammers flying all over the place a few days back. I would figure that all the new properties that are sprouting everywhere, and they're probably, at, what, a mile, two miles away from other neighborhoods, that w must be what is leading to an increase in, in appraisals, an increase in the value of properties nearby. What, yes, that's a very good point. Uh, there's a lot of development going out there, new subdivisions. Of course, uh, sales, we utilize the sales of new subdivisions, obviously. We also utilize the sales of existing homes in, in older subdivisions to uh, determine what the market is indicating out there at this point in time. And, and, and as always, we, we've done the, the same process in the past. Might there be an inverse effect near future? You know how it is right now. Price of money is a bit more expensive, and the powers that be up at the Fed, they're trying to make money more expensive and lending more expensive. They're trying to slow down economic activity, which slows down the sales of homes as well. And when that slows down, well, eventually the overall price of homes starts retreating a little bit. Might we see a retreat in some of the increases, at least when it comes to the rates or how quickly the appraisals are increasing of later? We're, we're no longer in that crazy time a year and a half ago where there were like 30, 40 bids on one house. Homes are selling at a more normal pace. In fact, maybe a little slower. So what we've seen, and, and that's a very good point, whereas people were bidding on homes a couple of years ago, things have normalized a bit, but they're still selling for a lot more. Uh, there's nobody negotiating a house. The holding period is longer now. Uh, you know, It might be now 40 to 60 days, whereas during the pandemic or a year and a half ago or so, it was a few days and people were bidding and, and you know, good luck if you get there with an opening bid of the asking price. Now it's people are willing to hold on to it. And you're right, maybe that has to do with the mortgage rate. It takes a little bit longer to get qualified. You might have to have a line uh, when you do the closing. But nevertheless, we're still selling, seeing uh, prices higher than they have been in, in the norm. Jorge Gonzalez is joining us right now. He's our Hidalgo County Assistant Appraisal Appraiser, and many of us many of us have been getting those letters uh, stating what the what the county says is the value of our property. You have until May fifteenth if you would like to get a hearing on this, maybe get a second opinion. Do you ballpark figure, George? Are the people that actually put in a request to 
get this get this looked at again. Ballpark figure. How many folks are generally successful in either going back to what it was last year or maybe not increasing it as much as had been proposed by an appraiser? So the the the, the going back to last year is going to be a difficult one. Getting some of the release is more uh, uh, something that we can uh, probably try and and and. and and achieve but remember we've had this conversation before the only person that knows that their own property is the owner there's things unique issues foundation issues roof issues that we're not privy to when we see them from the outside so that is very important that they provide the evidence the pictures they can upload all these things into our portal if they have a, a current free appraisal that's less than a year old uh, things of that. If they just purchased it, Sergio, and we're way above what you purchased it for, and, we, and you have the contract or the fee appraisal that came with it, those are all important tools that they can submit and that, that could help their cause. So in presenting the evidence, obviously you'll be either presenting video or pictures of the wear and tear that is common to the property that's been there for a while, correct? Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and if I could, if I may, Obviously, what we do uh, is something that gets audited by the state uh, every other year. This is a year that we're going to get audited by the state, and they have their own team, and they come in, and they look at the market, and they say, are you between 95 and 105 of the market? And that's very important because what we do it uh, affects or could possibly affect school funding down the road. So our job is always to try and make sure we're chasing that market value that we're not establishing the market, as I've said in the past. We're just measuring it, and, and it <clears throat> keeps going up and up. The legislative session is tackling some issues related to this, and I'm wondering what you're keeping an eye on, because if I recall, one of the proposals is to put a cap on the percentage year-to-year on the appraisal of a property. That's one of those things that's being considered. Is, is that one thing you're keeping an eye on? So, so th- those are very good points. One of the other, well, that's one of them. I believe they're wanting to cap all properties at 5%, not just your own residential property. Remember, right now, the only one that's capped at 10% is our homestead property, so you have to have your homestead on it. Okay. They're looking at capping uh, all properties, commercial, residential, and whatnot. They're also looking at increasing your homestead exemption. And if you're over 65, increasing the homestead, uh, over the over 65 exemption for those that are over 65. Now, that's going to require, if it passes at this level, it's going to require um, a constitutional amendment that would be in November. Yeah. However, if it passes, it's going to be retroactive for January 1st of 23. Uh, so that is something that's going to have a positive effect for our pockets, obviously. Uh, and that's something that we are keeping an eye on because that's going to affect whatever the chief decides to do when he sends out your notice and you have an exemption on it. And, and now it's going to be a higher exemption. So at the end of the day, when the tax office sends you their bill, that, those are things that are going to have to be calculated. Well, well, there you go. Yeah, that's some items that lawmakers in Austin are taking care of right now. Anything else you want folks to know, Jorge, before I let you go? Jorge Gonzalez or Hidalgo County Assistant Appraiser? Not just, uh, you know, be patient with us. May the 15th is the deadline. If you want to appeal, we encourage you using the online portal as you, uh, the public has been doing the last few years. For Hidalgo County Assistant Appraiser, Jorge Gonzalez. News 
Talk 710 KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. And we mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news on News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. This is News Talk 710-KURV, this radio station, exclusive play-by-play home for Houston Astros baseball. Thank you to our many supporters, including FMT Valley Motorsports and Riverside Development Services and also Hess Air. Terry Palacios, our district attorney for Hidalgo County, our guest right now. Appreciate your time, Mr. Terry. So now that you've had a chance to settle in, uh, you got uh, that new gig. So tell us a bit about uh, your assessment as you, as you take inventory of, of course, the docket, all these criminal cases coming in, and how they shovel more people over to the county jail and uh, contribute to overcrowding. So what's the plan right now to try to help with that, Mr. Palacios? Well, well, the plan right now is that any type of nonviolent offense that a person has been sitting inside our jail for more than two to five days without being able to make bond. We're going, we uh, file motions to reduce either to a peer bond or something they can afford to try to get that going. Uh, we've also had uh, grand jurors, uh, two sets of them. They're meeting on Tuesdays and Thursdays uh, to expedite anybody that's uh, on a violent offense to get them indicted uh, soon or as fast as we can to get them into court to see what we're going to do with those cases. All right. Looking at the minor cases first, just ballpark figure, Terry, just ballpark figure. And the minor cases, you know, people stuck in jail, they're sitting at county two, three days, as you said, they can't afford bail. So on the minor right. cases, muscle menos, percentage-wise, is that a fourth of the of the population, a third, less than that? What would you say? I I, I think that's at least 50% of the population with wow. minor cases. So I think, yes, uh, and you're talking anywhere from PON, DWIs, uh, criminal mischief, assaults, uh, and stuff like that So that we have. Uh, we have a whole bunch of those there in our county jail. Even, let's say, some of these minor offenses now, what if they have a previous, mm-hmm. more serious record? Well, they've got a history and they've got a long rap sheet and some of that might be violent. Would those people then be considered potential violent offenders and offenders then move over to that secondary assessment that you said with those folks? Uh, well, those well we, we, we look at the criminal history. We make sure they're not on probation. Uh, and before we make those decisions, uh, but uh, so uh, we do look at everything uh, before we 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 just reduce. We don't do uh, just a blanket reduction mm-hmm. for everybody Based on, on, on those misdemeanors. Yes, sir. Okay, Terry Palacios, our district attorney, Hidalgo County, our guest. Yeah, Mr. Palacios, <laughs> Tim Sullivan here. So you and the sheriff on the same page on your efforts to reduce jail overcrowding? We're actually working real close together, and not only me and the sheriff, but also the board of judges. They just appointed a new magistrate, uh, a full-time magistrate, so they could move cases a little bit faster, get people reigned a little faster. And so we're, it's, a, it's a joint effort between the sheriff's department, the judges, and, and the DA's office. So you're also making an effort to increase plea bargaining to, to help clear the docket um, as well. And, and as I'm sure you know, plea bargaining can be 
controversial. Victims, family members sometimes can be vehemently opposed to that, and you're subject to criticism. Also, when someone charged with public corruption, for instance, gets a chance for a more lenient outcome. Uh, what type of criminals are you choosing to offer plea bargains? Well, we're trying to do a plea bargain. Well, we offer plea bargains to everybody, okay? Uh, that There's no way we can try each and every case, especially mm. in felony cases. Yeah. There's no way. I mean, uh, we'll get back to, with COVID, and we'll get back to, I mean, we'll never finish. And then judicial economy will be crazy. But so plea bargains, I mean, as a criminal defense attorney, when I practiced 30 years ago, 90% of my, my cases were plea bargains. Mm-hmm. The, the 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 issue with the plea bargain is that we just need to make sure uh, on the DA side that our victims understand what we're doing. And in any case that does have a victim, we do bring them in here. We do explain to them what type of plea bargain we're offering. And we do get kind of a blessing, although we can't really uh, – a blessing from them and their families, but we can't really – control that either i mean it all depends on on the case but most i'm talking about 95 percent of of the victims are satisfied with what we're giving on the plea bargains and we're trying to do plea bargains on a daily basis i walk the courthouse every morning to make sure nobody has an excuse oh we haven't spoken to a da or higher up or to the to uh, my second uh, my first assistant alex benavides Mm -hmm. we're walking the courthouse every morning to make sure we keep moving these cases forward. That's been pretty standard protocol in the DA's office for some time, though, right? I mean, you, you can't not be in contact with victims when you, when you offer plea bargain. Uh, we, that's part of the right. We, we, we contact victims on a, on a daily basis uh, on every case. We let them know when their court date is. Uh, we have uh, victims advocates that will inform our victims <clears throat> what, time, what time the court is at if they want to give a statement at the time of sentencing to the court, all that stuff, those are the rights, and, and when we respect them. A court man, our guest, Terry Palacios, our district attorney okay. from Hidalgo County. Uh, a court magistrate for Hidalgo County, uh, air traffic control, that's a first for our county, right? The first for our county for, for magistrate, yeah, full-time yeah. magistrate at the county jail. Now, and that should expedite a whole bunch of stuff. Okay, did I properly describe it as being, like, uh, an air traffic control of sorts. Uh, I think it's what Larry Esparza will be leading this magistrate office. I, yeah, I believe so. I mean, you know, with the magistrate at our at our county jail, um, you know, we'd be able to contract. You know, instead of dealing with a whole bunch of different JPs, we're dealing with one magistrate. They know there's a consistent amount of bond. We know he knows what he's doing. He's an attorney. I, I think we're going. Hopefully, that that will work out for all of us. Does the magistrate have assistance that can help uh, determine the traffic uh, at county jail and see how we funnel that over as quickly as possible to the courts? I believe I believe he, he has some assistance out there yeah. uh, to get the paperwork ready, uh, but mostly it's, it's just the police officers getting their complaints okay. ready and their and the commitments ready, and him going through the whole process of getting the magistrate. We, we, we have extended an invitation to. Mr. Spars to see if he can join us. Uh, just curious because I think you guys are real busy over at the jail in the county on the weekend with arrests for DWI yeah. and all things like that. I'm just wondering if there's some folks working it on, on the weekend setting it up and uh, queuing it for the courts for a Monday morning. 
Well, Mr. Palacios, appreciate your time. You call anytime. You got, I know, seasonally you have different programs for yes, sir. victim awareness, crime awareness. So you give us a call and we'll get you on the radio. Thank you, Terry. Perfect. Thank you, sir. Our district attorney, Hidalgo County, Terry Palacios. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Para Mi app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. Download the free app for 710KURV and all our sister stations at Radio United. Crisp, clear audio and access to previous programs from 710KURV only at Radio Parami. Download it. It's free. Busy times at our South Padre Island, Brownsville International Airport. Bright Walker joining us at the moment. Let's start with this busy week. At SpaceX and with friends showing me information on all the private jets and all the people coming in from out of town. Is this the busiest you've ever been at the Brownsville Airport, Brian, when it comes to private jets? And I know where they're showing up. They were showing up to watch the potential launch over at SpaceX. How busy are you right now? Well, thanks for having me on this morning. You bet. Yeah, we've been super busy. Uh, Tower actually you know, made some comments. It was it was nice to have, you know, um, a, a lot of traffic because it made the time go a lot faster for him. But um, we were about 35% busier than a typical uh, typical day. And we're talking about, you know, the end of Easter. So we still had a lot of uh, private flights from Mexico. But um, but these larger aircraft that came in, the jets, they take up a lot more room. Um, and just for convenience, we, we have plenty of parking at the airport everywhere for aircraft. But for convenience, we we shut down part of a taxiway just to park some of the jets. I was about to ask you about uh, it. G6 takes up a there yeah, is. they take up a lot more room than a uh, a little twin engine Cessna. After the they pulled the plug on the launch on Monday, that most of these folks leave town and expected to come back for the Thursday event. That's yeah, that's the anticipation. I mean, that's why they have the jets so that they can be wherever they want to be <laughs> anytime they want. So they'll be back, yeah. No one's sleeping in those jets, I, I imagine. Uh, Brian, <laughs> Brian Walker with our Brownsville, South Padre Island Airport. Some days back, you and I interviewed about a special designation, a spaceport uh, designation for the airport, right? That's correct, yes, sir. What does that mean for us, um, so, for you? Well, uh, so for the airport, what it does, and for the city, is it provides another resource, another, um, you know, uh, asset that the city would have to, you know, market and attract business. It's hard to attract a space um, operator, you know, a space launch operator without having the designation first. And then in the initial days of spaceport designations, people like SpaceX would just show up and say, this is what we're going to do. And the FAA, you know, was kind of inclined to just say, all right, well, you're a spaceport. Well, the process is actually being still being, you know, refined. And we're working very closely with the FAA to, you know, figure out what that looks like. And and the process where we are in the process right now is 
um, we're, we're in the final stages and we're defining it as just a horizontal launch authorization um, spaceport. So that's that's kind of the direction we're going. We're like I said, we're in the final phases. We've done ninety percent of the work. It's a matter right now, just you know, uh, submitting the, the specific forms, and some of the forms are actually being created. So we submit those, and then and then uh, they'll issue the uh, designation to us. With our Brownsville South Padre Island Airport, Bryant Walker joining us. Brian, Tim Sullivan here. Explain more about horizontal launches. What are you talking about there? What what will be what will be the horizontal launches from the airport? Well, there's a there's a number of horizontal launch operators, and, and what they are is they're generally aircraft uh, captive rockets that are going to be uh, taken to altitude on you know on the back of or underneath of um, an aircraft, and then once they get to altitude, then they launch from there. So there's no sort of launch pad like like we see at SpaceX. Uh-huh. Um, so they're they're horizontally taking off from any airport, and then once they get up to altitude, they launch from there. It saves them, I guess, a lot of fuel and infrastructure and stuff like that. So um, there's a number of operators that are that are pursuing um, operating licenses. Yeah, so they've developed the launch platforms, but a lot most of them don't have. Um, you know, certification yet. So as soon as they get that, then you'll have a bunch of airports vying for those operations to uh, to come in. And eventually, if we start doing point-to-point launches, um, even, you know, like SpaceX is talking about getting anywhere in the world in 45 minutes or so, <laughs> once we get to that point, it, you know, where are these things going to go? It, it's great that we've got, right now we have 14 launch sites in the U.S., but we're going to need a lot more if we're actually trying to get, you know, a person from one spot on the planet to another spot, we want that specific spot. We don't want, you know, to then jump in a plane and fly another two hours. Uh, it wouldn't make any sense at all. So, wow. Um, yeah. So um, let me ask you, the, what what has changed other than the, the upcoming spaceport designation? What has changed at the Brownsville Airport in the nine years now, I guess, since SpaceX came in and just in the last few years when it greatly expanded, and then also paint a picture of what you see five, ten years in the future? Well, I think that, you know, um, I think the mindset has changed within the whole city. So now we have much more in the leadership of the city, the commission, the mayor, um, as well as the city's leadership itself. They've really changed their perspective on things. And rather than just sitting back and, and, you know, watching things go and taking care of stuff, they've been very aggressive about economic development, very aggressive about the assets and resources that the city uh, puts towards, you know, attracting light industry and 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 these space operators and these horizontal and mindset, yeah, companies. Correct. Yes, yes, for sure. absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, so the expansion of the airport that was critical. That's a that's a key um, element to be able to attract business, to attract the larger aircraft, and even to attract the service for the community itself. Uh, with better connectivity going to more destinations and things like that. So that um, now we're starting to recover a lot of the traffic that we were leaking either to other airports or other modes of travel. So people that used to drive, well, now they can um, jump on a plane and, and go, you know, make that same trip. Brian Walker with our Brownsville South Padre Island Airport. Do we need to increase the length of our runways in order to accommodate any prospects looking at our airport for, as you were mentioning, the uh, 
uh, vertical takeoff type of business, uh, maybe Richard Branson style, right. you know, airplanes that carry rockets into space. Do we need to expand uh, our runways? Well, you know, we've got a fairly limited uh, staff at the airport, uh, so we, we have to focus our efforts sometimes. And since I've been here, we've focused on constructing the terminal uh, and making sure that it's modern and uh, meets the expectations of the passengers. But then we also um, do have plans for the runway expansion. So part of the focus on air service was specifically for passenger service. Well, now that we've gotten the additional passenger service, we can sort of step back from that just a little bit and focus on cargo. So we can serve with the runways we have over 95% of the aircraft fleet in the U.S., actually the global fleet. So that, that 5% includes a lot of cargo aircraft. And it also increases the margin of safety for some of the heavier aircraft. So we, we do need the expansion, the runway expansion on our primary runway. Uh, and we are pursuing that. There's a few steps before that. So we do need to do some environmental assessments. We've got to do some, um, some design work and stuff like that. But uh, we're working on that in the background. Just, you know, you don't really see it up front. Uh, we, we anticipate that, that we'll see real, you know, dirt, turning dirt within the next, uh, I'd say, five to six years. Um, after we get some of those those other steps taken care of, is there any equipment that we could we could use at the airport to help us as we prospect businesses, maybe even competitors, the SpaceX to come here, like cranes or more hangars or more uh, parking space? Is there anything that we sure could use that that put us uh, you give know, us an advantage? It, it's, <laughs> I mean, you're hitting on all of our bullet points. <laughs> Um, what, one of the major projects that we have upcoming is a microgrid. So we're looking at uh, alternative power generation, which is heavily funded right now through some of the bill funds that are out there, um, some of the grants that the federal government will um, issue. So we've we've looked at and partnered with some VTOL operators and all to make sure that we're right-sizing the power generation that the airport needs for both adding a vertiport as well as supporting oh, wow. the entire campus at <laughs> the airport. Great. George Stetson, so mic- vertical takeoff yeah. and landing. That's yeah. what he's talking about. Wow. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And whatever happened to that? So, pro- you know, I'm sorry. Uh, we got to ask you because we're run- running out of time. There was um, an outfit sure. that was supposed to do some testing nearby there at Browns with a, a, a VTOL, vertical takeoff and landing. That, that project, is that project continuing? What, what do you know about that? Because I suspect they might be using the airport. Well, so we've. Um, We've accommodated, you know, any operator, uh, but the city was in discussions with uh, the operator um, Paragon. Yeah, uh, it looks like they've set up. It looks like they've set up some some headquarter offices in uh, Houston, and then they fully expect to uh, use Brownsville as one of their locations All right. to uh, to do testing and to All right, uh, expand it. I've got uh, less than a minute left. Uh, boardings and planements. How you doing right now? Up or down compared to the same time last year? Real quick. <laughs> I think everybody is up, but we're we're drastically up as well. Um, well over twenty five percent over the previous year for those emplanements. Um, we're doing really well. We've added two additional flights frequencies for United um, starting in May through October. So we go from three flights a day to five. I mean, the seat capacity increases about forty percent. So that's huge compared. You know, if you also consider the new Avello flights, the Avello flight. uh, going to Orlando and Burbank. So, mid May, um, adding the seat capacity, we're going to increase uh, All right. the seat capacity over uh, the previous month or the previous year by I don't know somewhere around fifty percent. It's, it's huge. Continued success, Brian. Appreciate your time, Brian Walker, with our Brownsville South Padre Island Airport.
you're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids. They're running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. It's good to see a friend back in the studio. Our chief, National Border Patrol Chief, Raul Ortiz, joining us here at KURV. So let's get right to the Title 42 deadline. The, talk, the clock is ticking on that, and I understand that there might be a little bit of extra uh, preparation on the part of Border Patrol and your amigos over at, at Customs at the Bridges. So what can you tell me, Chief? Yeah. Hey, good morning, Sergio. Yes, sir. Tim. Good to, good to be here with you all again. I will tell you that uh, May 11th is uh, the end of Title 42 as we've seen it over the last year and a half, two years. Uh-huh. Um, that's given us the ability to expel individuals to Mexico and to Canada. And uh, what this is certainly going to do is change our, our business model back to what it was originally. Normally, we process people via Title Eight, and this is going to uh, force us to, you know, expel or deport people yeah. the traditional way. Um, our numbers are quite higher, and just in the last seven days, we've averaged about 5,800 apprehensions. Uh, so we've already seen an increase. Pretty much all across the southwest border. Yeah, what we've seen is some increases in okay. El Paso, Tucson, Arizona, San Diego, Yuma, and then, of course, RGV and Del Rio. You can't, we can't ever say it enough. I mean, for working people tuning in to news and information, look, they hear the terms Title Eight, they hear the terms Title 42. Title 42 is the pandemic era one. Yeah. Uh, let's define Title Eight real quick. Title Eight, how does that work? So Title Eight is the immigration authority that Border Patrol agents and customs officers have to be able to process individuals or, you know, uh, remove individuals who uh, aren't uh, uh, provided an immigration benefit. And so um, we're making some adjustments right now. In fact, that's what I was down here for. Um, we're getting ready to roll out a credible fair interview process here in RGV. We started this past week. Okay. Um, and what this is going to allow us to do is process individuals who are claiming fear, get them before an uh, immigration officer, an asylum officer, and then get them before an immigration judge as quickly as we possibly can. And then if they do not warrant an immigration benefit, put them on a plane and send them back to their home country. And so uh, we had the first affirmations of two individuals the other day. And so we were able to work out all the bugs. We're training teams from across the southwest border. They were here. I met with all of them. And uh, we're going to uh, continue this process. Uh, Secretary Mayorkas and, and our commissioner both have made it a point that first in, first out. You know, we okay. recognize that we have a slew of individuals that are in the immigration uh, continuum okay. all across this country. 
But what we want to do is address the flow that's coming at us right and now. And Kellen, RJV Brownsville, we will be the first market to implement this. Will you be bringing in folks who cross the border illegally from El Paso, from Del Rio, bust them down here and get them before the judge? Or, or will it be market by market implementation eventually. So we'll have four locations across the Southwest borders that we're going to implement this new program in, but we're also uh, doing this virtually. One of the things that we learned during this COVID pandemic is that we could process virtually, Mm -hmm. that we could uh, use phone booths, we could translate, we can do a slew of things. At one point, Sergio, I was sending 824 board choice agents from the northern border down here to uh, the southwest border. I no longer have to do that. And so we've made some huge adjustments to our operational model and our processing model. Chief Raul Ortiz, National Border Patrol Chief, joining us in studio. And just quick definition, Title 42, which we didn't mention, is the pandemic era. Um, um, the return of some and I emphasize some illegal immigrants. Maso menos, Chief, how many were you able to return on a daily basis? 40%, 60% because of Title 42? Yeah, at one point it was 70 30, you know, and then. Return versus yeah. keep 30%? Yes. Okay. And then that number continued to adjust. And right now we're averaging probably about 60, 40, 70, okay. 30. And with the 40, the why do they stay, Chief? Are they families? Are they kids? Yeah. Or what? Unaccompanied children automatically are, are excluded from Title 42 expulsions, some family units. And then we have individuals that we just can't, we don't have a repatriation agreement with. Uh, Cuba, Venezuela, Certain some countries. of these other countries. Okay. Now, just three days ago, we were able to get uh, the State Department to coordinate uh, our ability to repatriate individuals back to Cuba. This has been uh, two years since we've been able to send a flight back to Cuba. And so we're excited about this because we do think that this will have an impact on the amount of uh, people we're uh, fate we're seeing in Miami, we're seeing down here in South Texas, and okay. across the Southwest border. Our National Border Patrol Chief, Raul Ortiz, joining us on KURV. Chief, when it, when it comes to credible fear, those claiming credible fear, what what qualifies as credible fear? Does poverty qualify as that? Economic conditions down in Central America, or is it strictly a fear of uh, you know a gang violence, for instance? Well, fear of persecution, right? You think about uh, some of the uh, situations that exist in Venezuela and Haiti and whatnot. Uh, a lot of these countries, I mean, you're almost looking at a failed state, Tim. And so, you know, you think that an individual that is traveling from these countries, and maybe they've staged in Venezuela or Colombia or some one of these other countries, and then they make it into the U.S. I mean, they, they've been on the road for two years. Mm-hmm. Fear Because they fear the violence, the gang violence that is occurring in those countries, uh, economic migrants will not qualify for credible okay. fear. And so uh, that's the distinction, and that's the kind of thing that uh, we need to make sure that uh, we share via social media, be, via these interviews, because what's happening is the cartels are coaching these migrants to say certain things, to use certain buzzwords, and we've got to be very, very careful that uh, we don't give them ammunition so they can manipulate the system. So are those folks who do claim uh, based on an economic basis, they are sent back. Yeah, more often than not. If we have a repatriation agreement, uh, we're able to expel most Central Americans, most Mexicans. But here's the dynamic that a lot of people don't understand. Now, I've been doing this job 32 years. Uh, this year, the three, four populations that we've seen a, a reduction in than from the same period last year are Central Americans and Mexicans. So between 12 and 38%, we've seen a reduction in those four demographics. That means that we're starting to encounter folks from all over the world. Mm -hmm. When it comes to operational control of the border, 
You have told a congressional committee the U.S. does not have that operation operational control. Your boss has told congressional committees, yes, we do. Uh, are you sticking by your testimony? Yeah, one of the things that I've said all along, and, and to add context to that, we've never had operational control. When you use the definition that was presented before uh, me during that hearing uh, a few weeks back when I was down here in Texas, we've never had. Now, we've had better levels of control uh, throughout uh, my time in service. There have been locations, regions that are in better shape than others. When you think about Laredo, Texas, they average 175 apprehensions a day. But Del Rio will average over 1,000. Mm. RGV will average between 750 and 1,000. How does that make sense? They're bookends in the area right in between. Well, because the cartels will not let migrants travel through that area. So whatever the reason is, you know, we have areas that are in better shape as far as uh, management because our agents are able to get out there and do more because they're not in the processing centers having to manage these folks that are giving themselves up. How do you define operational control? And is that where the difference between your view and, and that of Secretary Mayorkas lies? Yeah, the, the Secretary and I have had multiple discussions about this, and I tell everybody that will listen to me that, you know, my job isn't to, to – my job is to manage the border mm-hmm. and to have mission advantage over the, the cartels, the criminal organizations. My new strategy is geared towards mission advantage. If I have more capacity – than the smuggling organizations and the cartels, then I like my chances. But in some areas, that's not the case. There's areas in uh, the uh, West County here, in Rio Grande City, the cartels are running narcotics with small UASs. You know, I've got to be able to attack that. And so they don't have policy. They don't have rules that they have to adhere to. Right. <laughs> you know, and so I have to make sure that our agents have those resources so they can attack the cartels at every level that they possibly can. UASs? Yeah. So the small drones, drones. That, that you see that you yeah. can buy at Best Buy, these cartels are going out. They're spending, running them. They're running a couple thousand. <laughs> they're paying a couple thousand dollars, yeah. and they're running three or four pounds of, of narcotics across. Uh, we wish you the best, Chief. Thank you for joining us in studio. And, uh, again, first uh, few days in May, May 11th, you said? That's yes. the end of Title 42. Training continues. Uh, you and folks and customers waiting for what you expect might be a big flood of people. Yeah. Coming across the border. Thanks for joining us. No, thank you all for having me. Our chief for National Border Patrol, Herbal Ortiz in studio. This is the only radio station in the Rio Grande Valley for the news and information you need to know. We are News Talk 710KURV. Discover our Facebook page, 710KURV, also Twitter. I'm Sergio Sanchez, and my email is Sergio at KURV.com. Thank you for listening to News Talk 710KURV. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Para Mi app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.